Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on, catch up to the Byline Times podcast. This time we're talking about the High Court's decision not to stop the deportation of asylum seekers to Rwanda. We're going to speak in a little while to Zoe Gardner from the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants. I've also got Steve Crawshaw with me, Steve from Freedom from Torture. And Steve, as we're talking now, this is just breaking news, but the High Court has said that it will not halt the deportation of asylum seekers to Rwanda on Tuesday. Tell me what that means and what your reaction to that is, please. Well, of course, it's disappointing news that we're not seeing an absolutely clear full stop coming from the from the court and from the judge on this today. What we did hear was the UN Refugee Agency was in court and deeply unhappy at their false representations and effect that the government had been making about this policy. So on Tuesday, a number of those who might have been deported to Rwanda, are, are, that's not happening, that's been stopped. But the blanket stop that um, Freedom for Torture and a number of other organisations were in court today. Again, something will come back on Monday, we're asking for. That hasn't happened, but this is part of the beginning of a process, if you like. The judge made it clear that this is not a judgment saying it's okay to do it. It's that the full hearing, which needs to be heard, a more detailed hearing, has not yet been had. And so he is not, if you like, slamming the door in the face of the government. We and others believe actually that door should have been slammed, but it's certainly a lot to play for in the weeks and months to come. Okay, so just breaking down that ruling today, then, we know that there are individuals who were asylum seekers who the government wanted to deport to Rwanda, who on an individual basis will not now be deported to Rwanda. So that's a victory for campaigners like you. And we know that the government's claims that the United Nations was supporting this policy has been rubbished not least by the United Nations High Commission for Refugees in the High Court itself. But the principle of deportation to Rwanda still remains on the table. Is that right? That's correct. So basically that hearing and or, or multiple hearings, it's quite possible that um, groups will come together for the, the, the simplest possible legal process in what inevitably is very, very complicated. That the judicial review, so-called, of looking of is this legal or not, that will happen over a more prolonged period. And so the, if you like, the emergency injunction of saying stop, stop, stop until we know that hasn't happened. But those bigger question marks are still on the table. And I think many people, I say from the UN refugees, all of those dealing with refugees, many people in Britain and across the world who are looking just at the, the basic humanity of this are deeply concerned but that all of those questions are yet to be answered in, in the British court. So there'll be a further hearing on Monday, but the deportations are due to start on Tuesday. Is it likely that some people, before that big hearing has been heard out, will be deported to Rwanda? That is the implication of what just happened uh, literally in the last few minutes and that judgment from the High Court now is that a plane will leave with, um, or perhaps more than one, but, but some people will, will be sent. That is the clear implication of what's happened today. And therefore, we can expect, to be honest, some very 
troubling uh, consequences of that as well. We already know that those who might have been deported included those you know, fleeing the worst things from Afghanistan, from Syria, uh, a police commander who had defied orders in Iran. All of these were, were in the mix, if you like. And so, yes, there will be some who, on the face of it, what we're seeing today as a result of that judgment that we've just heard will be, will be on that plane on, on, on Tuesday. Steve, stay there if you would, please. Let's bring in Zoe Gardner from the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants. And Zoe, as we're speaking, this is breaking news, but is what Steve has said also your understanding of the High Court ruling? Hi there. Thanks for having Hi. me. Hello. Yeah. Um, yes. No, I, I, I agree with uh, Steve. And I think um, it's, it's obviously, you know, it's devastating setback in terms of we really hope that the court would find that this plane should not take off. We've got everything still still hoping on the appeal on Monday. But in the meantime, you know, I, I, I think that these, these legal challenges are vital. It's so important that um, we have the chance to, 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 to bring cases like this, that, that refugees have the chance to have their rights defended um, in the legal process. But if we think about what will really stop these flights, what will stop the flights in the long term, um, because, you know, if, if we manage to stop one, the government is determined and they will try to um, do it again. I think what's really going to stop it is people stepping up, people speaking out, people showing that this is not the vote winner that they think it is. I mean, if you think about the situation the government's in right now, they're in a really precarious position and they're trying to use this horrendous deportation as a distraction and as, as something to shore up um, Boris Johnson's position and to show that he's capable of achieving something really, really cruel. Um, and and, and if, if he manages to succeed in that, then it, it will bolster him and it will ruin lives. So he's, he's basically bolstering his own political skin off the backs of refugees. And I think that if we show the, the the governing party at the moment that actually people up and down this country are revolted by this um, and that this isn't actually going to going to shore up his position in the minds of voters, I think that's where we'll actually, you know, get a change in direction. Although the government says that its aim is to stop the cross-channel traffic of people arriving in boats to the UK, trying to break the grip that human traffickers have on would-be migrants and asylum seekers. So if they generate a lot of headlines with the Rwanda deportation plan, that might well send the message to the traffickers, it is not worth bringing people to the UK. It's not worth if you are an asylum seeker paying someone to bring you to the UK because you might be deported to Rwanda. Well, um, there's no evidence to suggest that any of these deterrent measures have ever worked anywhere else in the past, right? So what we know about asylum seekers and why they choose to go to one place or another is largely because of the connections they have to a certain country. So in many cases, it's because, you know, as, as a country that's colonized half the world, one of the outcomes of that, historically speaking, is that we have huge cultural ties, linguistic ties, um, huge diaspora communities, um, of people from around the world. And so it's completely natural and on that basis that people decide that they want to come to the UK. It can be because they also have family members already settled here and so on. So th that's the basis on which people make decisions to come to the UK. They don't know the details of the asylum system. They don't know that these, these threats exist. And realistically speaking, I think that we can all agree 
that you know if you if you look a little bit further down the line another year down the line another couple of years down the line do we think that the uk the united kingdom is no longer going to be a country of choice for many asylum seekers escaping persecution escaping war around the world of course that's not the case so for smugglers it's another boon because they just have to find what it might do is it might drive more people underground so they won't present themselves to the authorities but there, there's always been ways for smugglers to get around the authorities, get around these issues. And people will still try to come here because we are a safe country. We're a country, as I say, with all of those ties to, to the rest of the world. And we're a country where, where people believe that their human rights will be respected. So people will still try to come. Now, it may disrupt this precise way of them coming for a while. That's possible, although there's no real evidence of that either. But overall, this is not going to solve the issue of asylum seekers seeking to come to the UK. And what we really need to talk about is, are we trying to stop asylum seekers wanting to come to the UK? Or are we trying to stop asylum seekers having to take irregular means and enrich smugglers to come to the UK? Because they're two different things. And if we're not talking about stopping asylum seekers from wanting to come here at all, then we can offer people safe routes, alternative ways to travel so they don't have to get into the smugglers' boats. Um, and, And that's the real solution to this issue. And the government doesn't offer those safe routes, presumably because they fear that it would be electorally unpopular. Yeah, presumably. Or, or also, I, I think that there's a bit of a question about whether it would be electorally unpopular because the truth is that people don't know. People think that there are safe routes. They massively overestimate the number of people who come to seek asylum in the UK. People don't know the reality of this. What we have is an entirely twisted um, perception of it through the media. You know, it's not normal that, um, you know, an an asylum system that welcomes 40,000 odd people per year is front page news every single day for 11 months of the year, usually. It's, It's not a normal situation. So actually the perception is completely divorced from the reality. And what the government could do very easily, really, is introduce more safe routes without that perception being significantly impacted. Because as I say, people don't know the truth. People don't understand the real numbers. So if the numbers actually were to change and we were bringing in more people through safe routes, um, I don't think that that would have an electoral cost. Steve, I realise that everybody is different and we can't generalise, but I'm going to ask you to generalise all the same. But who are the the kinds of people who might be deported to Rwanda? And what are the examples that you've been successful in objecting to? Where have people been able to argue, I I shouldn't be deported to Rwanda? On, On what grounds? Well, the, the first thing to say is that the contrary, as Zoe has rightly described, there's incredibly false narratives that the, that the government is constantly pushing out on these different things. But the first thing to be aware of is that those who do go through the processes which are there um, and exist under the terms of the uh, Refugee Convention, the, the overwhelming majority of those who seek to get here are acknowledged as uh, genuine refugees um, at the end of that. Yeah, I think I think we are, we did a podcast on that a few weeks ago, Steve. Yeah. I think seventy-five percent. That's oh, right. Would be asylum seekers have their claims uh, approved? So yes, yeah. and I'm really glad that you did that. I think it's fair yeah. to say 
most people, if asked, would get that figure completely wrong. And certainly the government would be very happy if we got that that wrong. They're implying it's, um, you know, a false, false narratives. So they, unsurprisingly, they are fleeing the worst of the worst in different places. So those who come through the doors of freedom from torture, where what we do is, is my colleagues are working on the rehabilitation, the, the therapists, the psychologists, and so on, working on the rehabilitation of torture survivors arriving in the UK. Um, those come from, for example, from Afghanistan, from Iran, from Syria, from Sudan, Democratic Republic of Congo, different places um, around the world. What they have in common, Sri Lanka is, is, is a place uh, um, that, that many have come from over the years to freedom from torture. So what they have in common is that they have gone through horrific stuff at home. And it's important to remember that often those journeys that people have taken have themselves been incredibly complicated. The government produces this narrative as though you can somehow rock up at your local airport and you know step onto a plane and get a nice plane to Heathrow and say, hello, I'd like to stay here. Well, of course, actually, you're not allowed to get onto that plane in the first place unless you've got the paperwork. And the circumstances are that getting that prearranged paperwork is almost impossible. So legislation, which the government, despite the very, very worthy resistance in the House of Lords, including from a number of former Supreme Court judges and others who are quite appalled, the government has pushed through legislation, which basically turns anybody who hasn't got pre-authorization for turning up here into what they would call an illegal arrival, which completely overturns the very principles of the Refugee Convention that were there. So to go directly back to your question, have definitely gone through very bad things in, in those obvious kind of conflict spots or, or most repressive um, countries around the world, which until a few years ago, until recently, the British government was ready to accept the principle that, of course, we should then be looking. And you then a government has the right to look about whether somebody is telling the truth about where they have come from and have not, and whether there are genuine um, threats there or not. That's an absolutely legitimate process. But what the government is trying to throw all of that out and just say, you've arrived, you don't have the paperwork, in which case, off you go and we kick you thousands of miles away. At the moment, it's Rwanda, but they may well try and put other countries onto the agenda as well. Sure. But I mean, you mentioned there were, uh, I think, at least three of the people whose cases were heard today at the High Court were successful in their individual appeals. So what are the grounds on which you can successfully appeal against deportation to Rwanda? Well, we've got two different things there. On the one hand, there's a sense of the immediate short term, the lawlessness of just picking up everybody, if you like, and saying, okay, you're here, we're, we're sending you back, we're not looking at that. Um, the, the, Above all, the uh, the grounds on which you can um, appeal against being deported are the same grounds that you are seeking to stay here in the first place, which is the threat that you would face, the threat to your personal safety if you go back. Either that's because of your political identity, uh, your political activism, your uh, your sexual orientation, all of those different kind of things may, your religion may, may be a reason for persecution, all of those different things may be a reason for you suffering. And you have to make the case that in the place that you've come from, this is how much um, danger you would face. One important lie that the government 
constantly tells again and again and again is the idea that if you have set foot for three milliseconds in some other country, then somehow you shouldn't be arriving um, in, in, in the UK because you have been to another quote-unquote safe country. That is a completely misleading statement because, of course, anybody who's left their own country will have traveled through some other countries en route to the place they're trying to get to. And the UK is, if you like, at the end of a line of anybody's travel because they won't be catching a plane. So it would be absurd. It would rule Britain out from receiving anybody at all, frankly, if you weren't allowed to have, have, have set foot in another country en route. Sure, sure. No, I was just intrigued, though. I mean, clearly, uh, asylum seekers will have grants for leaving their country of origin and they may be of the various kinds that you describe. But the High Court has clearly said that there are some instances in which you cannot be deported to Rwanda, but presumably some instances in which you can. Is it too early to know where that dividing line is? Uh, yes, I, I, I'm unclear personally. On um, I think there is the the sense. I think what tends to happen, the Home Office is quite good at backing down on individual cases when pressed. And so to some extent, this will be simply, and I welcome that, that particular lawyers and particular groups will have worked with individuals and challenged those. And the Home Office will often back down on the individuals while leaving the overarching principles still in place. And so... Um, my understanding is it's more likely to be that each of those individuals, when challenged, you can pick them off. But the, and the government would love it to remain that every single one has to turn it into a individual case, which wouldn't make no sense at all, to be honest. Um, but I'm not absolutely certain about that. Zoe may know more. And that's fine. I'll, I'll go to Zoe in a moment, uh, Steve. But one thing I did just want to address with you, uh, given that you're from Freedom from Torture, was this question of people having fled thousands of miles from the worst kind of situations that any human being might find themselves in on this earth and then being threatened with deportation to a country thousands of miles away with which they have no connection, they have no desire to be in. I just wonder about the re-traumatizing effect of that. You're absolutely right to ask that question. And of course, it's re-traumatizing. Here are people who are incredibly vulnerable from all that they have gone through. Uh, um, indeed, Freedom from Torture's own building was deliberately, the architecture was built to be the opposite of the things that people are frightened of. In other words, with light and with curves and with green space there, because even being in a small room can sometimes be re-traumatizing for those who have suffered things in those, in those circumstances. So the idea of being bundled into the unknown, where you're basically going to get a pretty difficult reception, almost certainly, when you are feeling so fragile in so many ways, that's exactly the opposite of what is needed. That, of course, doesn't even go to the point yet, which is also true, that there is the, the issue of simply being picked up and dumped thousands of miles away with no connection to that country at all. You may have many reasons for wanting to come to the UK, which may include knowledge of language, relatives who may be here, and all of those kind of things. None of that will be there. In addition, but this is in addition, it's not the only point, but Rwanda's own human rights track record is deeply, deeply troubling. So everyone from the UN to Amnesty International to Human Rights Watch, all of the 
those who have looked at the human rights record of Rwanda are very troubled by the political repression that we have there. Um, and indeed, we at Freedom from Torture have had those fleeing Rwanda because of torture there are coming through our doors um, in the UK. So there is a brutal irony in the fact of the, the UK government basically just washing its hands. I mean, it is a kind of... You know, cash for human beings, you know, we'll help you a bit and you will take a problem that we don't wish to address. That's broadly what the British government is doing with an extraordinary a mixture of cruelty and a colonial attitude, I would say, of simply not wanting to take any responsibility. And of course, this is dangerous for everybody, not just for the individuals that you're refusing to help, but the whole point of refugee policy globally, what the Refugee Convention has tried to put in place, is that everybody helps a bit, because if everybody helps a bit, then you are sharing it right across the globe. Of course, most people will usually end up closest to the area of the conflict they're in. So at the moment with Ukraine, for example, Poland, which I was in recently, has obviously you know, far, far more than any other country. Likewise from Syria, Lebanon, Turkey are carrying the great overwhelming number and so on and so forth. That will always remain the case. But at least those more distant and frankly, the more richer countries often as well, um, need to put their hands up to help instead of trying to shut things down, which is what the British government is doing. Okay. Well, really, let me Zoe in Steve, I just wanted, do you know the basis on which individuals have been successful in appealing against deportation to Rwanda, even though the principle, is, is at the moment anyway, hasn't been stopped? Similarly to Steve, I haven't heard the exact details of these cases, but um, it's, it's a duplicity on the part of the government, really, because the government has refused to publish the eligibility grounds for who should and should not be sent to Rwanda. Their um, impact assessment in terms of human rights protection was an absolute whitewash. It, you know, it wasn't worth the paper it's printed on. So, you know, it, it, it assessed, you know, that, that human rights protections would be fine. And yes, maybe there's some discrimination. There isn't much protection for gay people. But on the other hand, it's fine because it's justified for no reason. And, it, you know, there's wider questions about how good it is for our country that we're now unable to adequately and rigorously criticize the human rights record of another country because we depend on them to enact our asylum laws. So there's the side of it that the government is refusing to publish its own guidelines and the, the criteria of who can be sent there. Um, there's also the side that I think Steve touched on that's really important, which is when the government, when, when we bring cases of individuals, so for example, the individuals that the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants uh, represents who, who have been served deportation notices who will be put on this flight. They're two young Syrian men. They both have family members settled here in the UK. And so you could argue, in theory, and I don't know if this is exactly what's happened in this case, but you could argue that it would be unduly harsh to ask them to, to resettle in Rwanda. Maybe they have mental health struggles because of the, um, the uh, trauma that they've experienced. Maybe that can be shown to be going to be exacerbated to a huge degree being in Rwanda. Maybe it can be shown that it would be beneficial um, in their individual cases because of their family members here to keep them here. And when those arguments are made, the really important thing is, is that the Home Office steps back. Um, exactly as Steve said, they, they, they take away the removal notice for that individual because they're okay, that individual has a lawyer who knows how to argue for their rights. 
That means we take away their deportation order and that argument cannot be used against the wider flight. And what we know is that there are lots of people who will be on that flight on Monday if it goes ahead who have not been able to access a lawyer. They've been held in detention. They don't understand what's happening to them. They may have arrived here very recently. They may have poor English skills. It's been very difficult for us to work out who who is on this flight, how we can help them, how we can reach them because they're in detention. Those will be the people who we won't be able to get off the flight. And that is a tactic deliberately used again and again by this government. Yeah, Tuesday, I think, is the the due date of the flight. So from your point of view, Zoe, even if this flight does go ahead on Tuesday as scheduled, you're determined to dig in for the long run and fight for this principle and to have these deportations overturned. Absolutely. And as I was saying before, you know, the, the legal challenges are an important part of that, but they're not. This is a cultural problem. This is an issue of our government shoring itself up off the back of refugees. Um, this is a problem of of them deliberately driving hostility towards a relatively speaking small group of extremely needy people um, and trying to pit them against us because they can't get a handle on the cost of living crisis because they've lied and broken the law in public office and they want to distract from that. And that's not going to go away until we all stand up. And and so if this flight goes um, or if it, or if we manage to stop this one flight as well, in both cases, actually, what's really important is that we keep up the momentum of this campaign. And I think we can go in lots of directions with that. I mean, this government has shown that they are deliberately trying to be as cruel as possible. If they get a, a, a headline news that human rights lawyers are appalled and are trying to protect the rights of, of refugees fleeing persecution from the government, that's a win as far as they're concerned. So we're not mm. going to convince them through humanity right? But we can make this embarrassing for the government of Rwanda because the government of Rwanda, you know, is they're getting money to take on our problem and they get to say, look at us, we're a partner of the UK government to manage their migration problem. And that that is a boon to the dictator who runs the government of Rwanda. So we've got the Commonwealth Games coming up, which will be a key point where we can apply some pressure, make it embarrassing, make, make it clear that you know, the, to the Rwandans and to the Rwandan government that we do not support this, that this this does not make their country look good. Um, there's also the fact that, you know, my football club, to my ultimate shame, Arsenal, Arsenal yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're sponsored by Visit Rwanda. Now, the reason mm. for that is that Kagame, the dictator who runs Rwanda, he's a big fan as well. My God, I do keep some good bedfellows, don't I? <laughs> um, but... He's a huge Arsenal fan, and I think it would be really personally harmful to, to him that if if Arsenal stood up for something good for once and um, said that they would drop that partnership, that sponsorship partnership, if this deal continues. So there's there's a lot of ways in which we can put pressure on this, and, and you know, in in other places in Israel where this has been done before. It took them a few years. Campaigners wouldn't let go. They kept making it embarrassing for Rwanda because Rwanda had a deal to take in refugees from Israel and they managed to get it dropped. And we can do that too. Um, so let, let me I just put a final uh, thought to Steve. I mean, Steve, you've talked about the media narrative and we know that there are newspapers in many cases run by people who effectively have non-dom status in the United Kingdom, people who don't live here like Rupert Murdoch, people I'm thinking of like the Barclay Brothers who run the, the Telegraph, the Lord Rothermere of the mail group. I mean, I- ironic really, but 
you know, these are people who are responsible for some of our best-selling tabloids, and they will drive an agenda to support the government on this, won't they, through the Telegraph, through the Mail, through the Sun. That will then get presented in headlines on tomorrow's papers today or what the papers say. And the appearance of endorsements from those newspapers may not reflect what the British public thinks, but it will become a dominant narrative in our media landscape. It will then become the source of further discussion uh, framed in, in a negative way against asylum seekers. You're right that the challenge is very great, but I'm glad that you made a distinction there between particular segments of the media, which are indeed, as you say, very big selling, and British public opinion more more generally. Because we're seeing it, for example, some of the airlines who may be involved with those deportations. It's been great to see they've been forced to back down and to potentially drop out to rule themselves out from being involved um, because of the strength of public um, opinion. And, and Zoe's organisation, my own, have both been involved in some campaigning on that to get some real to get some real impact um, on that. And so I think. I think that um, I think that we can. It's not. It's important to um, not think here in terms of left and right. This is absolutely not that. I was really struck. I mentioned the House of Lords earlier that we had someone, a former Lord Chief Justice, former senior Supreme Court judges, talking of this as a grotesque piece of legislation. The proposals that the government put through a couple of months ago. That's the kind of thing that we're looking at, and I think that all of Britain can come together for a sense of rule of law and why it matters. This government and this Prime Minister in particular seems to care nothing for the rule of law, but I genuinely believe that the the people in this country do care about that. And that's what we're looking at here is maintaining that and maintaining the kind of decency that goes with the rule of law. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Steve Crawshaw from Freedom from Torture. Thank you to Zoe Gardner from the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants. And thank you for listening to Byline Radio or if you're listening on Catch Up to the Byline Times podcast. We are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, which is a brilliant monthly newspaper. Check it out and get more details online through our website, bylinetimes.com. And please take out a subscription if you can. If you've already done so, Thank you very much indeed. Thanks to Zoe, thanks to Steve, thanks to you, and thanks to Harvey White, who helps with the production of these episodes as well. We'll see you all again soon. Please stay tuned to at Byline Radio, and we'll be broadcasting again very shortly on Twitter Spaces. But stay tuned to that Twitter stream to find out exactly when. Thanks a lot. See you all soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.